Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll and on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on where you are. I have a feeling it's good morning to most of you, but I figured I'd drop those other greetings in there as well. This is Brian Courtney with Short Bus Debate Club. And as always, Darren Jolly is across the table from me. Indeed. <laughs> Today, we are going to talk about intelligence. Um, that might be a misnomer, but we are going to talk about the intelligence community and what that means. So, before I turn it over to Darren, I want to do a real quick introduction. Um, so, the intelligence community in the United States really started with the OSS. Um during World War II, and the OSS was, I think, Office of Strategic, Strategic Services, Services. Yeah. Um, and they made the joke that OSS stood for oh-so-secret, so it was serious spy shit. I mean, they were trying to stop Hitler. Um, the OSS dissolved in '45, and I don't like the word dissolved because really the OSS just became the CIA. Um, 1947, the National Security Act passed, and the customers for intelligence based on the National Security Act are the President, the National Security Council, heads of departments and agencies of the executive branch, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Senior Military Commanders and Congress. So, with all of the intelligence gathering apparatus, as what's the plural there? Apparatus. I don't know. Ah, fuck it. Apparatus is. I like is. Um. Anyway, say it down, say it faster. Apparatuses. You got it down. Anyway, um, all of the different intelligence gathering agencies that we have um, report to those groups. Um, I don't know. It, I I, uh, I have a lot more to say, but I'm going to turn it over to Darren since I gave that quick intro. Um, far be it for me to just mildly disagree with, with something that you said. Um, there were active intelligence agencies inside of the U.S. Um, during the Civil War. There were there were a few other things that were out there. They weren't big. They weren't consolidated. It wasn't like what developed out of World War II, where where power was so centralized. Um, and uh, a couple articles. I just never really thought about it this way, but they 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 let out with uh, the fact that. Uh, Paul Revere was actually, I mean, he, he was he was an intelligence actor on some level. Yeah, I know we had spies prior to that. Um, I just didn't think that they were in any group. There's 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 a couple of other institutional forms. So there's one specifically that developed out of 1888. I'll find it in a minute when I'm not uh, doing the doing the beginning part. But uh, there's there's no doubt that um, out of World War II, uh, there was a qualitative difference. Um, with regards to what it was that was was going on inside the intelligence spaces, and uh, um, 
I, we'll, we'll get into specs more, but one of the there are a couple of the things that I want to get into um, is is how uh, Intel um, and sort of like particularly in a post Snowden world um, is a part of everyday life, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Which, in contradistinction to the way that we rhetorically thought about things uh, relative to the Soviet Union, it's just funny how um, invasive it, it has become. But another couple of things that uh, I, I want to cross over in the in the middle of this is. Uh, the way that Intel has uh, functioned in relation to state actors, um, adjacent, and, and then uh, as as state actors, I would be a better way of saying it. So like the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, stuff like that. But then you have all these other uh, private arms that have emerged over the course of the last uh, few years, um, and how that kind of problematizes a number of things, particularly um, if you think about like Max Weber, he defines the state. I mean, anybody that's you know took political science 101 international relations stuff uh, human as a human community that claims the, the monopoly the state as a human community that claims the monopoly of the legitimate use of physical force within a given territory um, and uh, how if you have these sort of private branches that develop um, in these spaces how that becomes uh, increasingly problematic um, for a number of reasons um, uh, one is, is that anybody that becomes good at intelligence or at military activity is going to be farmed out to private spaces, uh, something that generally historically had been utilized in terms of an, uh, a defensive space becomes incredibly offensive because the people who own these corporations or companies that function in a private way have a different set of interests that tie to them. Um, and uh, we need to see if, if that's the case. Uh, what does that tier look like? What does it look like in relation to those profit motives and, and, and how does that uh, affect the way that we currently understand the system as it relates to intelligence and what it is that might be emerging out of those those spaces? So. Well, there's the problem, and I think this is what you were kind of leading up to, is that they don't have to report to the customers under the National Security Act. Um, you know, so now their customer is whoever hired him it's that guy in the cia as well as, or, as well as the shareholders on some level right well i not not reporting to them directly but they have a certain their 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 function is to report to them in a different way in terms of what their responsibilities are to them right okay not yeah. as a state actor anymore so since darren went that way and and i don't know if if he was going to talk about this when he was talking about you know different ways to grab intelligence but according to acronyms that the united states use um there are several types of intelligence and it's basically six, but for the most part, they use signals intelligence, which is SIGINT, S-I-G-I-N-T, and that basically is anything that would be a signal. It's communications intelligence, electronics intelligence, foreign instrumentation signals intelligence, so that is all SIGINT. Um, the other important one is Hume Int, which is human intelligence. And then there's open source intelligence, which that's, you know, 
intelligence that's publicly available, and that's OSINT. Um, the ones that aren't so important to us, or, or maybe they are, because they're, you know, geospatial intelligence, um, which is satellites looking down on us. Um, there's measurement and signature intelligence, which is some bullshit. I'm not even going to try to explain that to you. And then there's imagery intelligence, which is probably also satellites, but drones, anything that would be a camera, um, radar sensors. What was the second to last one again? What did you, what did you, the one that you weren't going to talk about? Measurement and signature intelligence. And that one is really just, it says mass int exploits a variety of phenomenologies from a variety of sensors and platforms to support signature development and analysis to like perform expression and stuff, like facial, I mean, facial recognition stuff or optical recognition or, uh, it probably could be. Um, but it, it just, I mean, mainly it's, it says it's quantitative and qualitative analysis of physical attributes of targets. So yeah, it's facial recognition, biometrics, Fingerprints, that, that shit like that. That's kind of interesting because you're, you're, you're looking at numbers and you're seeing how those, you know, demonstrate like larger, you know, arcs of activity and stuff like that. Yeah. And I did talk about it in the book. I mean, as far as, but I didn't call it mass int. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it, it does hit us because, you know, every time we walk by a camera, then we're probably hit by both. At least M int and and mass int, depending on how good the camera is. Um, the reason that I mention those things is because they touch all of us on a daily basis. Um, obviously, satellites are are in orbit, looking down on us, so they can zoom in on us pretty much anytime they want to. Um, you know, drones. Fuck, everybody's got a drone now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, your neighbor could be gathering intelligence on you if, if the government isn't. Um, I didn't just read those from the Petraeus book, but that's where I first got those. <laughs> I was just thinking about how, how you got shot. <laughs> Sorry. How he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar a couple of times. Well, his, um, hand, his pants down. Right. Well, I was thinking cookies. <laughs> You're such a dick. Um, cookies indeed. So, um, the Petraeus thing, that's where I first got those intelligence acronyms. Um and interest, interestingly enough, these days, at least for foreign affairs, and, and we should be lucky there, um, the military is the largest intelligence gathering device that the United States has. Because when these guys kick in a door, they've got cameras going constantly all the way around the room so you know when a seal team goes in or a marine recon team or whatever they've got cameras going and 
they start picking up shit. They're picking up hard drives. They're picking up loose papers. They're picking up all of that stuff so that whatever department can later analyze that stuff. So I don't know how they source it once they gather it because all of them have their own intelligence units now. Um, you know, there's Naval intelligence, there's air force intelligence. Now there's fucking space force intelligence, which really cracks me up. Coast Guard intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) So we should count ourselves lucky, at least currently that the military is not allowed to be on United States soil. And that's because of the, Posse Cometutis? No, I know I'm mispronouncing Your that. Latin is not very good. I don't speak Latin. Um, but it's it's basically, it, it was an act in 1876 that allowed people to create a posse, but said that the military can't act on United States. And that was on the wake of the Civil War because of all the weird shit that probably happened out of of that. I mean, that would be my guess at least anyway. Well, it said some weird shit like, and this was this guy's interpretation of it. It was the Brennan Law Group. Mm -hmm. Um, But he said it had something to do with protecting protecting white supremacists and Jim Crow in the South and all kinds of shit, which doesn't sound right to me. But either way... The Posse Comitutis Act. That was better. You did very good. Um, <laughs> protects us from the military wandering around and gather intelligence now. So now we just have to worry about the CIA planting shit in our TVs, um, telephones. We have to worry about FBI's echelon um, and just different shit. I mean, the CIA in the late eighties trained the fucking New York police department, how to gather intelligence and spy on people. This is a fucking problem people. And I know that everybody listening, all four of you, well, maybe two of you are going to go, Oh, I don't care. I'm not doing anything wrong. And the other two are going to be like, fuck, he was right. Um, I know one person's listening. Like, <laughs> he really is right. <laughs> go harder, go harder. Um, so if you're not doing anything wrong and you think it's okay for them to watch you, <clears throat> here's the problem. Is that right now you're not doing anything wrong. With the way that they're changing laws and the way that interpretations of the Patriot Act can be read, you can get jammed up just about any time. And if they want to change things to where, I don't know, masturbation is illegal or growing a beard because you fucking look like a Taliban guy or you called somebody in fucking Syria because they're your aunt. It's a problem. So quit saying they can watch me if they want. Okay, I'm going to kick you out your soapbox for a second. Fuck you. Um, so when we were when I when I t- when we were trying to come up with what we we're going to do this week, I I brought I said I want to tell the story. Right. Okay. So uh, the story uh, is about Brian's book release party. Um, 
And it, the, the point of this is to demonstrate the, the first and the most important uh, thing that we're trying to, to sort of illuminate people about. And that is how these things are, uh, whether you want to admit it or not, they're, they're, they're going to directly affect uh, your lives. All right. So Brian wrote his book, Off the Grid, uh, The Catalyst. Um, I don't know, it's been six, seven years now or something like that. Maybe even longer than that. It's been a minute. But uh, he had a book release party at this bar uh, that was near our house in Inglewood. And uh, I, I, I've been hanging out with Brian since I was 13 years old. You know, he was 16, I was 13. We've known each other forever. So anybody that showed up to the party, this book release party, I was pretty much going to be familiar with uh, on some level or another. And if it was somebody that I didn't know directly, um, you know, they're going to be bullshit and I'm going to figure out who it is because I've heard about them through word of mouth through like people that Brian worked with that I hadn't connected with or not or, or otherwise. So I'm sitting at this table with Brian and his mother for about 45 minutes an hour. And, you know, people that we've hung out with forever, they're coming up, we're chatting, we're drinking, we're having fun. And uh, I sort of noticed this guy that's floating around the party. Um, and he's, it's clear to me that He's thinking about what he's doing in a sort of like strategic way. He's hitting this person. He's hitting that person. He's talking to them. He's asking them questions. And I'd heard about these kinds of things happening, but I hadn't really, um, the, the, the reality of it had never directly connected to me. And when I say these types of things happening, I like think about an intelligence agency in, in this way. And I don't know that it looks exactly like this on the ground, but uh, if a person commits an act, right? And an act could be as simple as going to a library and checking out a book, right? If they if they check out a book about, uh, uh, you know, Timothy McVeigh or something like that, and then, uh, you know, the Ruby Ridge, and then uh, how to do this and how to do that. If you get 17 or 18 check marks next to your name that suggest that you could be a quote unquote problem, then they will send, the Royal they will send out an intelligence actor to see uh, how you are functioning in society, to see if you're building up arms, to see if you're trying to organize people to, you know, overthrow the government or just, you know, sitting around talking about problems and trying to get people motivated to try to deal with those problems, like, like Black Panthers were doing or something like that back in the day. Um, <clears throat> so you didn't call them the White Panthers, did you? I said the Black Panthers. Okay. The White Panthers. <laughs> I know. I I, if I ever said that, I'd fucking blow my brains out. So... Anyway, uh, when Brian wrote the book um, and people were buying it, he wrote it, so it was like a made to order, like a person would uh, buy it and then it goes through, like they print it immediately for him. Yeah, and it print on demand. Print on demand, okay. So um, there were enough people that bought it, um, and I, I don't know, did you post on Facebook that you were doing the book release party? So, I mean, it was it was, it was was public knowledge, right? I also sent out email invites, um, and... I don't know if this was one of the check marks Darren is talking about or not, but on several occasions, I was sending the book out to be proofed by Darren, for one. Um, Sarah Janae. Yeah. yeah. And on a few occasions, I said, you know, here's the latest copy. I hope you enjoy it, FBI or CIA <laughs> or whoever. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> I I was kind of goading them, I guess. But having said that, there's no there's no way when a book comes out 
and you can think I'm paranoid or not, but if you if you don't at least understand this is a reality, once a book comes out, it's going to be sent to to, to a domestic intelligence uh, uh, reviewer, right? And they're going to read. Well, they get it right away. I mean, because it's sent if if the author does it correctly, it goes to the library. The Library of Congress yeah. ends up getting two copies. Mm-hmm. So, in that moment. They're going to review. They're re- they're going to review it, and it doesn't matter how many check marks you have next to your name in this moment. If you write a book the way that he wrote that book, and he, the specifics of it, I'm not going to go go read it for yourself and take a look at it. But there's no doubt that he was very critical. I mean, it, there there was heavy-handed activities that the U.S. government was trying to institute to to people. It was sort of like a, a science fiction, as if it were two days from now, kind of like like thing. <clears throat> but I was watching, so back to the guy. I'm, I'm watching him sort of float around. I've been sitting there with Brian and Mary for a long time, and I tell him I'm going to go smoke a cigarette because if this guy is what I think he is, after having sat with them for, for a long time, he will follow me outside and start asking questions. So I went outside. I rolled cigarettes back then. I just start rolling his cigarettes, and he comes out. Hey, how are you doing? He doesn't offer his name or anything like that, but, you know, he's like, this is really interesting. He's like, uh, like so, so how do you uh, – how do you know him? You know, he starts asking me questions. You know, I tell him I've known him all my life. I tell him that we're we're friends. That uh, you know, uh, that we've argued for a long time. That, that you know, and, and he just keeps asking these questions. So what do you think about the book? You know, uh, do you think that it's you know would motivate people to do anything? This and that. I mean, he just keeps poking and probing to try to see uh, what he can figure out. Like if we're trying to organize, you know, some sort of a movement or blah blah blah, right? So he goes on like that with that line of questioning for about 10, 10, to 10 or 12 minutes. And I, I, I said, uh, I said, so I said, so what, what's your background? Who are you? You know? And, uh, he's like, uh, you know, I, I, you know, he kind of tries to be evasive and, and redirect the conversation. I said, sir, you're asking me a lot of questions. He said, well, you're volunteering a lot of information. I said, because I don't have anything to hide brother. You know, I said, so again, what, what's your background? He said, I was in the military for, you know, I retired with the military. <clears throat> I said, what, what branch? He said, the Navy. I said, so you worked in the Office of Naval Intelligence, just like that, you know, just point blank. He said, I, for 17 years, I worked in the O&I. Uh, I said, so after that, um, you just retired from the military? And he said, yeah, you know, I said, so you started doing contract work at that point in time. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, here and there from time to time. And then I said, so are you doing contract work right now? And uh, he did not answer that question, but I made it very clear that I understood where he was coming from and he could talk to anybody that he wanted in there, but uh, whatever you're testing to make sure that we're not doing, uh, we're not doing anything. So um, I, like, I, was, I was happy that I was shrewd enough in the moment to, to, to pick up what was happening. But I had, like I said, I'd never experienced anything like that. You know, we we did the Beyond Chicanismo stuff, so there were things around that where clearly the FBI observed some of that stuff that was going on. You don't invite a former weather underground person and a bunch of separatist lawyers and from various different groups have relationships with one another, and the FBI doesn't show up. That's that's their responsibility, I guess. Um, but uh, this was a little bit different because when they did it at those in those spaces, it was surreptitious enough that I couldn't see what was happening. But in this moment, it was fucking blatantly obvious. And whether you like it or not, whether you believe me or not, it doesn't really matter. The facts are, in, in, at, at the very least in a post-Snowden era, you need to understand that 
that these things that we have said in the name of freedom, uh, we, we don't like. We're literally using <clears throat> in the name of freedom as a way of trying to support this hyper-aggressive stance that's coming from these institutions. So, Yeah, I, I you know, he, he talked to me that night and he wasn't nearly as aggressive. And, you know, I had people coming up to me and asking questions. So I think he kind of gave up. But I remember the guy you're talking about. And the only thing I told him was, well, I probably wasn't the best thing, but I said, you know, it's about the government and how they're watching everything we do and basically trying to fuck us. Um, and then he walked away and, and started working the crowd. But, um, Fuck, that party was fun. I got schnockered. <laughs> schnockered. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't, now I'm lost. I don't really know where to go from here. I, I wanted to talk about just intelligence as a whole, you know, so. Since you said post Snowden mm -hmm. and, you know, the FBI started their echelon program at the golf balls. Well, they really ramped it up in the 90s. Um, but it existed as far back as somewhere in the middle 70s. I'm pretty sure I read a bunch of stuff about that. That's possible. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not going to say one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I know that it was around in the 90s. So they've been. They've had the capability to listen to us forever, you know, and people will say that I'm paranoid, but I know for a fact someone was listening to me and my friends' calls when I was in high school. Um, I know that on Josh's line, we accidentally heard a double click and then... You know, that happened multiple times. I'm I'm fairly certain they were listening, but it's because of the activities that we were in but during not, that time. I'm not making an argument about capabilities in the post-Noten time. I'm thinking of it more as like, so, yes, all of those things were happening. And because of the way that we lived our lives during the 90s, there were aggressive positions with regards to the way that state actors were functioning. But as, as you sort of like, pointed out after 9-11, the stuff that was developed in terms of uh, the Homeland Security Act and the Patriot Act 1 and 2, um, that created a, a legal ground to where anybody that state deemed as a terrorist, you know, so in terrorist is an, is an abstract category that can be applied to whatever. In, 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 well, it's not just terrorist. It's also dissident. Terrorist. Dis okay. 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 So the, so the legal groundwork gets created after 2001. So this is a, a good qualitative, quantitative moment, right? So the post-Snowden era point is just to say that when Snowden floated that information, regardless of who he was functioning on behalf of or what the, what was behind that, it normalized the concept of intelligence gathering en masse on the entire population of the world. That That's the only thing. So like, like that is it. It's one thing to, for us to you know, hear clicks on the end of the phone when we're, when I'm going to pick up a quarter pound of weed, right? 27 years ago or 28 years ago. But uh, <clears throat> it's another thing 
to have a guy demonstrate concretely that uh, all of your electronic communications are effectively being uh, stored in mass and could be used retroactively as ways of justifying, you know, any number of well, and they are. I mean, regardless of what Snowden said, they they definitely are. And you know, like I maybe people don't realize what I was talking about when I said, you know, the CIA has shit on our TV. Um, that was a real thing. They put a virus in all of these Samsung TVs so that they could turn it on and use it as a fucking mic. And there's the Pegas Pegasus software that, that, that hits cell phones and they can, like you said, it's exactly the same thing. They have control over all of the, the components inside of the phone at that point. And that's not, look it up. Don't fucking, don't believe me. Look it up for yourself. You know, and the FBI has been throwing GPS uh, monitors on people's cars at least since the 90s. Um, maybe before. I know GPS got big in the 90s, but they had them prior to that. We actually found one on a post. Really? <laughs> it, it was an old one. It was one of the ones from back then. So, th- with that, all of that being said, I had a friend um, who always called me paranoid. Darren and I hung out with them throughout high school and, and college and, well, really up until the last 10 years, probably. Um but he never believed me. Always thought that I was full of shit. They're not listening, you know, whatever. So he went to college and got his degree in IT. And he ended up working at this company where their job was to <laughs> basically, they were a middleman and they would talk to Verizon or T Mobile or whatever and help whatever agency wanted to listen to that phone, this company did that. This is the wiretapping. Yeah. And so Roger went into this job, you know, with blinders on. Oh, I shouldn't have said his name. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And he didn't realize that they really were listening. And then he gets this job and he's doing the IT for this company. And he realizes that like, 75% 75% of the phones in the United States are being monitored in one way or another. Some of them legally, some of them in that gray area. Um, but 75 fucking percent. I mean, that's a huge number. Well, and they, I, I remember when he talked, after he talked about uh, his orientation, he said that what they said, what they said in his orientation was, because of the sheer need of volume, I didn't think the number was that high. I don't remember it being that high, but it doesn't matter. Because, but the, the point is, is that because the sheer volume is so high, there are firms that that they have to have, like the one that Roger got the job for, because the volume is so great that they just need to outsource some of that. See, outsourcing. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't seventy-five percent, but I, I, I swore it was eleven. Was what he, what he had originally said, but that was only what 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 he said as a caveat. Uh, during orientation, he said the, the the presenter said, "But that's only what what they tell us." And I think that's an an incredibly important thing because 
No, that that is. I mean, I'm not arguing with you there. I just remember the number being higher than 11. But I mean, 75 or 11. I, I'm certain that one in 10, one out of nine people that I run into, um, don't have the the there. There's not a demand for for surveillance of and and like surveillance and review because, like I said, with the Snowden stuff, the surveillance already exists in that space, but. With what it is that, that Brian's talking about here in relation to Roger's job, um, which he doesn't work for anymore, he's he's elsewhere. But uh, in in his in his job, um, it, it was it was getting the information and, and having it like prepared for review um, because of potential, right? So this is enough like potentially you could be doing this, potentially you could be doing that. I mean, it's like so obnoxiously idiotic for people to maintain rhetorical positions in relation to the con- constitution which of course doesn't give us a right to privacy anyway but uh that's just a, sort of a, <clears throat> a fallacy that we latch onto but um we do believe in it and it is supposed to be a part of our culture but <clears throat> if you excuse me i'm going to take a drink real quick if you can honestly say to me that you <clears throat> think one in ten people that you interact with that there's some sort of a need for wiretapping and then review, uh, then I think that you need to maybe go to a, a different country where they actually don't agree with or believe in these kinds of uh, hyper-aggressive positions. Well, and you know, if you think about it, um, with Echelon and all of the other programs that they have out there where they're just monitoring like phones and email, then technically... One hundred records too, isn't that another thing? That Technically, one hundred percent are being monitored. Yes, but they're not being actively monitored. So you know they're combing through, like they set up a, a software program to look for keywords, um, key phrases, things like that. And then if those keywords and key phrases come up, then they start actively monitoring you. Do you think that they dump any of it, or do you think it just Days. That the NSA has huge fucking libraries worth any... of fucking data stored in a mountain in Utah. So they, oh, I, I was actually listening to something about that Utah song. It's fucking huge. Between the Latter day Saints and their servers, the fucking NSA, they've got huge mountains of fucking information. Literally mountains. Is it, is it both their servers and their, um, um, their storage capabilities or? So with the NSA, you know, that's that's kind of a secret, right? They're not going to give you a tour of it. But they carved out the mountain. Um, and I don't think they're running electricity down there. So it is truly just storage. So it's hard drives worth of stuff. Um, and that's the same with the Latter-day Saints. But, I mean, it... Because of things like NORAD, you know, it's possible for them to run electricity to the inside of a mountain because it's just, you know, how much rock you want to bust out, how many lines you want to run. Um, But to my knowledge, it's just servers, not servers, but just hard drives. Okay. But and again, they can retroactively use that information at another point in time if they need to. Yeah, they could always go back and grab it. And who knows? Maybe they have a line in there to where they can grab it, like you know, on demand. Um, so how many how many intelligence agencies 
public intelligence agencies, the ones that are uh, publicly working on behalf of the U.S. government that we know about. Well, so these are the guys that actually report to all of those groups that I mentioned at the, the beginning of the podcast. So there's Air Force Intelligence, Army Intelligence, Coast Guard Intelligence, um, Marine Corps Intelligence, Navy Intelligence, and Space Force Intelligence. Those are all DOD guys, mm-hmm. right? Then there is the Central Intelligence Agency. Well, there's also the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is kind of the guys above all of the DOD guys. Um, there's the Department of Energy Intelligence Agency, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of State, the Department of Treasury, the DEA, the FBI, the National Reconnaissance Office, the NSA, and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. So those are the guys that are running the satellites. Imagery analysis and all that. Yeah. And I mean, so the reason I always said that there are like nine that we know of is because I always kind of broke off the DOD ones. Um, But now because of the, what the hell is it? The office of the director of national intelligence. um, And that was a group that was created after nine 11 with the, the Patriot act and all the horse shit that happened. (laughs) After after 9-11. Um, so this Office of Director of National Intelligence watches all of these guys. And the, the goal was to break down silos and make communication easier from group to group. Because according to our government, 9-11 happened because of a breakdown in communication. The FBI had chatter that said one thing. The CIA had chatter that said another. If they would have communicated, then they would have known that they were hitting five places and that it was in airplanes that were hijacked and yada, 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 right? So they create this office, and now all of these guys are supposed to communicate and hold hands, and, you know, they're just happy-go-lucky people now. If that was the case, then it would just be one big group, right? And they wouldn't have to have different offices. But a lot of that has to do with budgeting, too, and the fact that they take our taxpayer money and fucking waste it. Um, Maybe that's another podcast down the road. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) I have a strong belief because of the way secrets work and remember the the first group that i mentioned was the oss and that their motto was oh so secret um the way that stuff works i think well on the surface these guys are sharing a lot of information but i don't think it's the important information or, or the information that they deem important, I guess I should say. So if there's a group in the CIA and they're working on really secret stuff 
that could get somebody in trouble, they're not sharing that information with the FBI. And if the FBI is throwing, you know, GPS units on people's cars, they're not sharing that with the Security Council or the DEA. And fuck, who knows what the DEA is doing because they've kind of got some different rules because they kind of follow the rules that we have here, but then whatever country they're in, they have to follow those rules too, sort of, <laughs> you know? So if, I'm very Star Trek. If, if somebody in, you know, Thailand says, fuck it, go, go get those guys. We're tired of it or Columbia or wherever. Then it kind of frees them up to do whatever the fuck they want. Right. And as long as they don't report it back here, to the security council on what they did, then everything's okay. Yeah. It's a permanent position of absolute plausible deniability. Right. Which is, I mean, of course that's something that like that you watch a stupid movie about the CIA or, you know, any, any number of intelligence actors. And this, this point about plausible deniability, like people watch it, they understand it, they laugh about it, but there's really nothing to fucking laugh about. Um, especially in the context of everything that, that Brian just said is, the, the size of this thing, you know, and we haven't barely talked about the private side of it. Just just the, the active state actors is so <clears throat> incredibly significant that it's funny, you know, when people talk about George Orwell in 1984, and Orwell said this, he was very clear on this point. He said, this is not just about the Soviet Union. This is this any any state that, that wields military power has the right to do these kinds of things, uh, has the potential to balloon up and become... Uh, incredibly invasive and we're, we're not allowed to be actors anymore except for in the in, in the in the way that the existing system of power uh, defines the limitations of our acts I and mean, I, I don't know if the four of you read but if you have not read 1984 <laughs> you should read it I think that you should refer to it. When, <laughs> like when you're talking to I think you should stick with this the four of you <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Every everyone needs to read that before, but make sure that you're not just you know the the really good thing about the fact that we are in a post-Soviet world that, that anybody that wasn't you know alive 31 years ago um, you know nobody's conscious of what it was actually like during that time period and what the rhetoric was constructed as. So if you're honest with yourself and you look at these these siloed spaces, you know uh, the vastness. You, you, you need to just start understanding the world that you're living in in relation to intelligence and the fact that so you were talking about silos like things are honeycombed out inside of those silos so one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing they said that they wanted to coordinate activity or coordinate information sharing rather would be a better way to say that so that they can better act intelligently which i get that's fine you know but you know this is you you, you let off the 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 podcast with uh, a contradiction, you know, like like that reminds me of old uh, George, Carlin. George Carlin, yeah, military intelligence, oxymoron, yeah. you know. Well, you know, and here's another problem: is that I mentioned the military grabbing all of the the intelligence that they have, and then you've got the CIA, you know, running their people, and and the FBI with their snitches and and whatever. And then satellites and, and all of this. So we've got huge fucking amounts of data. And we've got people that can go through this data. But 
you've got to wonder if they can go through it fucking fast enough to get anything actionable. Like, by the time they find it, has whatever already been done? You know, did I already drop off the two keys of Coke or drop the 4,000 pills of ecstasy or plant the whatever that thing is called that makes an explosion? So, <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely need to dig deeper into this, but I know we're coming up to the 45 minutes. Um, hopefully you guys will, will do some research and, and kind of dig into this on your own. Um, you know, read 1984, read off the grid, the catalyst. And, and that isn't just a shameless plug. It, it really kind of digs into this a little bit more. Um, but in a really nice plot and storyline. That is a shameless. <laughs> so, um, you know, intelligence. I think we should do another podcast where we talk about not only the state intelligence here, but maybe some private intelligence. But we should also talk about, you know, Russian and Israeli intelligence as well as German. Because those guys, at least with the CIA and the NSA, they're all supposed to kind of talk. Well, not so much the Russians anymore, but there's some collaboration that happens out in the field. These were the Mossad and the CIA definitely have an Well, yeah, look at what they did to Iran. Um, so, yeah, we, we can talk about intelligence another time. Um, that's all I've got to say. We, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, just to reiterate, because we didn't even get into any of the private stuff. I did just want to bring up one more thing in closing. Um, yeah, because the private stuff is key because it brings a new layer in that we, and it, to where certain activities can be coordinated throughout the globe that exists above the nation state level. You guys, have you ever heard me say this before? I kind of sound like something I keep repeating over and over and over again. But these actors are able to function through the nation state and beyond the nation state. But you had brought up in a previous uh, podcast the fact we were talking about companies and about how. Uh, when you get a negative uh, public image that you can change the name of your, your company, you know, you, you just re-register it on, under a different thing. Uh, there was this one thing that I was looking at uh, yesterday and then again today where this individual was rating the, the top 10 largest private militaries on the planet. And if you're talking about private militaries, you're talking about intelligence because a military at the top is always going to have high connections to intelligence. But uh, the biggest one is uh, a company called Academy with an I. And uh, it didn't exist until uh, four years ago because it was a different company before that. It was Blackwater, right? So, <laughs> right. yeah, that's uh, the <laughs> sometimes it's time to rebrand, right? You know, everybody knows that you're murderers and fucking getting uh, contracts that you don't. Uh, what do they call those non-negotiated? Where they just because uh, con- you're supposed to be able to bid for contracts, no big contracts, yeah, yeah, for for Iraq. So whatever. Well, we have a lot further to go down this rabbit hole, which we will do later. So. All right. Um, you know where to get us on social media, and if you don't, fuck off. Um, the name of the podcast is Short Bus Debate Club, so, you know, search it. Um, 712-334-ROLL. Yeah, that's the phone number. Give us a call. We Talk still to haven't it. figured out what we're doing on Wednesday. <laughs> we'll figure it out in the next two days. All right. <laughs> Talk to you later.